Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We couldn't get enough of Neighbors 1, so we come back with the sequel, Neighbors 2. That's right. Today on Anatomy Movie, we're discussing that. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Turn up! We have Jeff Graham in the house. What up? Jeff Graham here, guys. Thanks for joining. You guys can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham and Instagram at Jeffrey Crane Graham. He just jumped right in there. Oh, was that that my cue? That was your cue. cue. See? And we have Dimitri Panos. (laughs) Hey, movie fans, how are you? You can support me on Twitter. Well, might as well. Uh, At DMovies1701. That's right. And, uh, uh, I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Anatomy of a Movie, where we dissect movies in depth. Today, we're dissecting Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. Uh, no, this is not a feminist class. We'll talk about the feminism of the movie, but that's not what this is. We're here to get turned up. Yeah, that's we are. Um, obviously, it's very spoiler-filled, <laughs> and if you would like to follow along with kind of our notes and things like that, feel free to download our rundown for the show in the description <coughs> box. But without further ado, let's get into some overall thoughts for the movie. And we have some mixed opinions. We do have mixed opinions. I loved this movie. Um, I thought it was great. I think comedy sequels are tough. And I think rarely are they very good. <laughs> and um, I thought this was just as good as the first one. The, the reason I think it worked, and we'll get into it, but I thought it was smart to take the essence of the first movie but totally subvert it by featuring women and I think we are not in agreement on this from what I was getting from the initial discussion, but I thought they really handled the female leads in kind of a subversive, unexpected, non-traditional way for what I expected to be a kind of raunchy comedy. So I thought it was great. I thought it was very funny, and it kind of made me think. Fair enough. Well, the only the only downside of today's panel is that we don't rep- have representation from an actual female. True. Uh, who saw the movie? Who's right? <laughs> so, unfortunately, you're going to get three dudes' perspectives on this movie about feminism. Indeed. So, take it for what it's worth. And Dimitri Panos. You know, I the original Neighbors to me was uh, it was a middle of the road comedy. Um, didn't love it. Didn't hate it. it. It happened. I saw it. I found the jokes in that movie to be a little one note. Um, it was no surprise, doing you know, being what it did in box office, that there was going to be a sequel. Uh, and I was on board. Believe it or not, because of the casting of Chloe Grace Moritz, I, I really think that she's a, a very talented, fine young actress, <clears throat> and I really, uh, yeah, I, I really think that to see her in a movie like this, I was like, this could be her breakout. Like, this is great that she's being in this type of a high-profile comedy. For me, then, the movie ended up being a movie of missed opportunity, and for the most part, most likely there were missed laughs. Um, I felt that the sorority hook of this movie could have made its own movie. Like, it could have been a sorority version of Animal House, in a sense. <clears throat> Deal in, And it could have been topical to today of what this feminism is all about. Um, you know, it, it had some great points to make, but ultimately... Feminism, women empowerment, eh, from a from a woman empowerment one oh one, maybe, but I think its messages get totally mixed up, signals crossed. Um I found that the resolutions that came at the end of this movie were like completely fabricated. They felt just written for the sake of the plot. Um and you know, I didn't even find it all that raunchy. 
There was one scene that was the raunchiest. I scene did almost all. gag with a tampon. <laughs> it was something. That was the scene. That 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 was the scene. Baby with dildo, cute, and then you know they they drag it on like dressing yeah. it up. Oh, it's an eh. Seth Rogen. Um, you know he's you know he's Seth Rogen. I get nothing against him. I think he's funny. Um, I'm more of a fan of. Um, now I forget her first name. Rose, Rose Byrne. Byrne. Yeah, Rose Byrne. She's. I love her. I, I love too. watching her. She's so dynamic. She can be in comedy, dramas, thrillers. Um, she was great. Ike Barinholtz and his wife were, were funny. There were laughs. There were laughs in this movie, but there were things that I felt were sort of forced because it's a sequel. Um, I didn't get motivations. Am I supposed to get motivations in the comedy? Well, you can do it. You can have it in there. But I just didn't like the Zac Efron character. He's against them. Now he's with them. And yeah, it, it, the movie is a little bit of a mess where it could have been. I, I appreciate it. So in terms of Zac Efron, <clears throat> I thought, uh, you know, because the way the marketing worked, it, it Zac Efron's always on the side of, you know, the neighbors, the old guys. Um, and so to have kind of a little bit of a twist from that as an audience member, you're like, oh, he's he's with the sorority. And then, then it switches. So I, I like the kind of that progression overall. I mean, I'll say, that, you know, is it the world's greatest comedy in the world? Not necessarily, but it, it had enough laughs for me, and I can respect it that uh, just, I don't know, maybe it's just that comedies have gone to such a low level that it's really hard. You know, hmm. I, I give more things a pass, and I can appreciate like, and especially if you look at, you know, Zoolander 2 just recently had a sequel. You look at the Dumb and Dumber sequel, and, um, you know, not that Neighbors was a classic for me, but but I can appreciate that at least, like, the sequel stood up in one way, shape, or form um, versus those two <clears throat> movies that I'm just, oh, dear Lord, dear yeah. Lord. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I appreciate it. And the only, uh, again, th- there's a couple of premises that you just have to go along with, and if, if we were to dissect it in that way, they would fall apart. I get that. Um, and that's why, for me, the only, like, even slight nitpick that I tried to have for this movie was at the end of like, well, sure, you're renting it, but that's going to cause a lot of problems. And the only reason I forgave it, because I was like, <clears throat> Neighbors 3. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you know? well, I agree with you, Phil. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I'm much more quick to forgive, you know, plot ambiguities or premise faults if it's a pure comedy. If I'm watching a funny drama, like a character-driven movie like Juno or Little Miss Sunshine, that's a very funny movie, but takes itself kind of seriously. I do have problems when there are, you know, these kind of glaring plot issues. But in a movie this ridiculous and silly, I'm kind of okay. Especially, I thought there were some tongue-in-cheek, self-aware references to the fact that, like, the tampon scene, for example, Zac Efron comes down right away, Teddy, and says, that that was over the top. And, like, when a movie's self-aware enough to kind of self-deprecate in that way... I'm quick to forgive, personally. Well, you know, you said it off the top. It is hard to make a comedy sequel. And by by no means is this Caddyshack 2. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, it ain't 22 Jump Street either. Right. Which I think, you know, was a That's was a, a sequel to a le- whole nother level. It, but it's a, it was a very funny comedy sequel. Oh, um, 100%. I mean, right? it, was, it elevated the first yeah. one. Yeah, me. absolutely. And, you know, in, in your looking... I'm going to go a little way back in my history of comedy sequels, but yeah, when you look at things like, uh, uh, um, well, let, let, let's just say, uh, well, I mentioned Caddyshack 2, Ghostbusters 2, not 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 near the original, but when you see some really bad 
when you re- see some really bad comedy sequels, to me, they make other comedy sequels look so much better, like a Beverly Hills Cop 2, hmm. which I think is funny. Or Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Definitely not as good as the original Bad News Bears, but to me, it's still a funny movie. Um, but it's hard to replicate because it's sometimes it just seems forced. And to me, this is what this you know actually seemed too. It's like they had a singular script, which was about the sorority girls, and some executive looked at this and said, "Oh, what if we just made this for Neighbors Two and put it in there, and then we'll have the Neighbors Two? And that to me just it, I don't know. It didn't work as well as it did the first time. Even though I, I got some laughs out of it, I wasn't completely pissed off. Um, the performances were on par. Like I said, it was good to see Chloe Grace Moritz in a role, you know, who who could stand toe-to-toe with everybody else around her. This is like, in a sense, her first foray into this kind of broad, quote-unquote, raunchy comedy. Adult. Adult comedy. <clears throat> Whether you think her role in Kick-Ass is somewhat comedic, but she kicked ass in Kick-Ass. But now I, I was, you know, she she stood her own in this movie. I thought she did very well, yeah. considering the talent that that was surrounding her. I so. get it, you know, and what, what it's one of those things. Like what I appreciate about the first one, <clears throat> um, they 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 very nicely villainized the um, the frat guys, but then at the end they kind of uh, obviously had a heart because they themselves changed. Whereas in this one, it's tough because. The girls themselves don't change. They have a, a moral compass and they kind of stick to it. And it's really, uh, you know, just the neighbors dealing with them, right? Huh. Right. Um, and they, you know, they kind of, and then they're forced to do these various things, obviously, for, it, it's it's all a matter of rent. It's all a matter. It's what yeah. it came down to uh-huh. for them. Um, they didn't want it, you know, they would have been perfectly content eating Doritos and whatever else at home and not really... I don't know, though, because I kind of felt like there was this overall general stand to create something that was their own. And, like, granted, Rent was kind of the the con- the catalyst that drove their motivation to, you know, keep their place, but I very strongly sensed this overall feeling of, you know what, let's subvert the expectations of what a sorority is, let's throw parties that aren't super assault-driven and... I don't know. That was enough for me to see beyond just the immediacy of the conflict. But again, don't you think that on its own, <clears throat> that could have been its own movie? It's a, that's like, a great point. Actually, you know, it, I hear that what you're you have all of the points mm-hmm. to make a funny movie that is rebellious because you know that is true. You know, when they when um, then there's sort of a funny. I mean, scene so at the Selena beginning. Gomez herself, like yes. Google it. It's Google real. It. Yeah. It's real. You know. Y- y- Sororities can't hold parties. Well, I didn't believe it or not. I did not know that until Neighbors Two, right? Um, and all the stuff that's going on with frats within the past year, yeah. a lot of them have made the news for not the right reasons. Um, but I can see, like, I'm thinking, God, that would have been a great movie. A bunch of girls, talented actresses who could, you know, handle comedy, go out to set up their own sorority to do things by their own rules, um, have parties the way they want to have parties. Um, but wouldn't it have been great, too, to actually see that these girls were sort of kind of smart, like that they were like decent students? Like if you're going to make a female empowerment movie, make it so that they're more than just their their their, their goal is to be able to smoke pot and party and, and get like, let, let's see how they have to do in that man's professor's world of getting through college. Let's see them do that. That's far more interesting to me 
than what was served up here. And the comedic the comedic possibilities, like this could have been an Animal House type of a yes. rebellion movie that would have worked that thematically fits right into everything that's being discussed today. Uh-huh. And giving, you know, you could have made it low budget. Like our three lead girls were great. I really liked seeing them. I thought that they were very funny. Um, you just didn't give them enough well, to let, do. Well, let me ask you this, because um, there's five writing <clears throat> credits on this. True. Uh, Andrew J. Cohen, Brendan O'Brien, Nick Stoller, who's the director, and, of course, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, that writing duo. Um, so, for the, you know, I mean, I will admit, any time I've tried to write anything for girls, I'm like, how fast can I get through this scene? Because I can't <laughs> write for women to save my right. life. Um, and when you have to go that deep and that, meet, you know, give them motivation, you could say, like, Okay, well, this this looks like it was written by a guy, right? And when you have five of them, I mean, um, they did bring in some consultants through Amanda Lund and Maria Balshuki, um, but they they didn't officially get credited, and they kind of helped shape the. They feminism. got executive producer credits. Nick Stoller actually blames, I believe, WGA rules as to why they couldn't get writing credit. Um, to me, it was. It, it sort of they, their influence on the movie. Like I, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, you didn't do enough. Like one of their big acclaim to fames that they say is their 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 joke was the tampon joke. Oh, interesting. And and having um, Zac Efron's character um, do the well, that's is that over the top? That's that's disgusting. Having Teddy Sanders and then somebody, I forget if it was Rose Byrne or somebody going. What? It's no worse than throwing dicks in a bag and throwing it... Dicks in a bag. Yeah, that's funny. And apparently these two women wrote this and, like, so he had that self-awareness and quote-unquote learned. And I'm like, I didn't catch that he really learned anything other than, oh, you know what? The tampons is... Yeah, that, that's funny. If that's your contribution to making this a woman's empowerment movie, I, that's not that much. Well, here's the thing. I, I think there's a fundamental thing. Like, I get that these girls are trying to do their own thing but up until the research of this movie i never took it to that level of like this is a feminist movement movie i thought it was okay here's the conflict and here's just it's just what these women are about and here's their moral compass and it just happens to be different from the guys and it's funny that you say that go ahead oh no you're good Uh, i was just gonna say to me that did feel kind of radical it was a movie about women and it's interesting dimitri the point you brought up about how it just seems like these girls all they want to do is party and get stoned I haven't really seen that from women in the movie yet. So to me, like, we could have tried to force these women to be great students and be leaders, but they were like, no, we want to show these freshman girls in college who are interested in partying just like the guys would and show them from an objective perspective. They're not, you know, they're not sexually promiscuous. They're just these girls that want to party like the guys do. And to me, that kind of felt radical. I hadn't seen that yet. So I appreciated the fact that they didn't feel the need to, you know, push these female characters beyond what we would expect of guy characters in a similar movie. And I would only my only argument against that would be we've seen movies like Bridesmaids. Mm -hmm. We've had movies like The Heat that have shown strong women being getting drunk, doing whatever. You know, it, to to be the able difference to sm- is that I will say th- those are older women, right? Only True. because th- yeah. there was a very much point of like, yeah, we're we're self sufficient and this and that. And it's like, and, and they didn't know the first thing about starting a house. The the remember when Teddy first comes in, he's like, okay, you're going to need to do X, Y, and he's like, 
huh? Yeah. Right. They were kid. They were nineteen year old girls. Like I, I yeah. bought it. No, I get it. But there, you know, there have been other movies. Like I mean, I'm going again. I'm referencing way back, like Little Darlings, that had Christy McNichol and um, uh, uh, Amanda Warlitz or uh, Tatum O'Neill, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, yes, they, it's a long time coming, and I get what you're saying. But really, is that really? Is that women empowerment because they can smoke a joint? It's like, to me, you can take that so much farther than that. And they had, like I said, there seemed to be a really good story in that that could have been funny. Yeah. Um, you know, when you throw in the Seth Rogen stuff, you know, but, what, but, what but, I was happy with is that they didn't, it wasn't necessarily, the only one note joke was the, the, the baby and the dildo, the dildo. joke. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a little bit, oh, they brought back the airbag, which <laughs> was sort it of funny, out. too. It that worked it out. It actually did work that, out. That made me laugh. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that, that, that did make me laugh. Um, but And then again, you go to what ends up happening at the tailgate party, which is the tailgate party was funny. Getting Zach like, oh, I forgot my baby oil. Like, that's – but what is that – pandering to like is that woman empowerment you know, kind when a guy of, it's the only the only character that was sexually objectified in the movie was a male character okay but th- here's what i will say right you and and look at it in this way and again it, 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 we don't have a girl on the panel so if, <laughs> let's do our best if I, if I had one I'm, I'm sure she would slap me right now but that's actually what i appreciate slap him. i appreciate okay. about this movie was the fact that it didn't go that right like the the fact that the whole feminist thing was ultimately a joke and that this was their idea of feminism made me laugh because that's not what ultimately feminism is. And that's why I never looked at it like that. And that's why I do hate all these articles that are talking about, uh, you know, is it a feminist movie? Is it not? No, it wasn't about that. Well, I don't. It's their stupid little girls. But, that's but, what they are. I don't agree. They're but not it, feminists. But it, but it I don't came agree. out in, in some, you know, in interviews that were said. This was said to be, in a sense, a woman empowerment movie, and I was sort Who of specifically. I know probably Chloe it said a Chloe little bit. Chloe had said this a little bit. Um, the cast itself, even um, Riz Byrne had mentioned this, and but that's why, like when when I was sort of kind of going into it, I was like, you know, this could be a very interesting take, and that just seemed to be such a non-issue in this movie because it was it was. Women in Parliament, like not even one hundred and one. This is like your re, this is your class to get into to one hundred and one. What I love though, the fact that it was a non-issue almost feels feminist to me. It's like fourth wave feminism. It's like in the nineties, we would have had to make a huge deal about the fact that these were women. This movie just took a step back, told us a story, and didn't give us all the tropes that we expect, where women are either you know sexually promiscuous or this or that. They just. To me, they fit into the mix of all the rest of the characters in a way that I just don't feel like we see very often. So to me, that kind of felt like it had this almost like secret feminist edge because it wasn't really acknowledged. Yeah. I just think the, com- I, I think the conversation, you know, um, I respect what, you know, all those guys are doing when they're promoting the, the movie. Mm-hmm. I think just it's the wrong conversation to be had. No offense to them. And, and you know, it's one of those for me. Where at the end of the day, like that might have been your intention, but for me, once you put the movie out there, I can interpret it as I may. Yeah, sure. And I did not get that, and that's not what I want. You know, I yeah. just I care less about that side yeah. of it. I mean, but you can see how they were 
stretching for it. And oh, 100%. Yeah, the, you can see how they were stretching for it. Um, that's like again, saying just because there was a girl, it's feminist. Like, no. It's it's almost like um, they were kowtowing. It's like, ooh, if we say that we're this, yeah. people might like us more because look at us. But I think it, it to me it does a little bit more damage than – more harm than good because it wasn't particularly well executed in, in, in various ways. Comedy, it was okay. Like, I got some laughs. Um, I really felt that taking these two, like, I liked, I liked the, the, the outline of our, our, our lead character, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne. They're moving <clears throat> and they gotta get the house. The house is in escrow. That that was very funny dialogue too. Like I remember, told I you told you. Esc- remember when I told you with escrow and you both nodded. The yeah. way you're nodding at me now, as a matter of fact. Uh, to like, be that fair, was funny. I, th- I thought that was a great lesson because I don't think I, I've met so many people that actually don't know what the hell escrow is. And it's like, oh, we saw the house. Wait, what the fuck is escrow? Yeah, what does escrow? that mean? <laughs> well, and as an adult, this is so tangible. The fear of not knowing something so outweighs yeah. the fear of being wrong. So you just, oh, yeah, of course I know what a home equity line of credit is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you just have to play along. Yeah, it was like that was a funny scene, but it was a good, it was an interesting enough plot point where, okay, it's not a done deal yet. Right. What the hell is going to happen next door that's going to ruin this deal for these normal, you know, these there were people? Stakes. Yeah. So, I, I like that aspect of it. I just wish they'd come up with maybe a better way of of, of executing it so that we see what ends up happening. And again, there were some ver- like that scene with that realtor about about Escarau. And, and they were like just nodding their heads. She goes, yeah, you're doing it just like you were before. I thought you understood this. Would you mind just going through baby doing it again? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, one of the things that they taught, you know, in terms of options, every iteration of the script existed at some point. There was a version where another frat moved in. There was a version where the sorority was there and then got kicked out. And then a frat took over and it was even worse. We flirted with a version where it was an older couple, a swinger couple. Terrible ideas. We're not, um, they're not in the movie for a reason. We had a version of the movie that we table read with. That was basically Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne trying to prevent um, the first movie from happening. Trying to placate the sorority which made it boring because nothing's happening. They're never fighting. So um, if nothing else, again, whether or not they succeeded, at the very least, it seems like they've gone through enough of an exercise to try to think of all the possibilities. Right. Yeah, and apparently there were a lot, a lot of shitty iterations of what the Neighbors 2 sequel was supposed to be. So, you know, the mere fact, I understand and I respect the time and effort to take, but it's like we said, sometimes making a sequel to a comedy, to a successful comedy, it's very hard to do. Yeah. It really is because the perception is is that the audience wants more of the same because if it's a se- because it's a sequel. If you deviate from that path too much, the audience isn't, well, I wanted some of the stuff that I'm familiar with. And I and I respect that they tried to to, to get away and still keep it familiar. What what I appreciate like um, it kind of it, it, it took some of those moments and uh, expanded upon them. A lot of times what ends up happening is that th- th- there's this notion that you have to explain certain things from the first one, and that's what kills the joke. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Zoolander 2, unfortunately, is the world's best example of taking a joke yeah. and trying to explain it. Exactly. Um, whereas this, again, I thought the the whole airbag notion, right? <laughs> a very funny thing, and, and it just kept kind of being pushed in this movie. And then the way it works where it brings Teddy... 
and um, what's Seth Rogen's uh, what Mac together, and they're hugging of like, will we hang out? I, it's actually a very sweet moment. And then, you know, the unexpected happens where you know you have Teddy and he's he's been knocked out, and so you think, <laughs> oh God, what's going to happen? You know, and the fact that he just goes forward, <laughs> forward through the door. Yeah, it was a funny scene that I didn't expect to work. Um, because it was so, in a sense to me, it was almost overused in the original. Yeah, it was a lot. And I knew that it was coming, I, I figured it'd have to come back in one way, shape, or form, but I liked, it was, it was funny in that. What, what would you it handled it well. So if yeah. you had to, if you, if you had to summarize tropes or, um, motifs of the first one, <clears throat> what would you say they were? And then, I guess let's figure out how many ended up in this movie, because, again, I, the, the whole them versus somebody else, like, that's the core premise of the first one. Um, well, what I love is I feel like we saw a lot of the same tropes recurring, but they were freshened up. So, like, we see all the old frat characters, but two of them are gay and about to get married. Like, that was an example of, again, subverting what I would have expected in a type of movie like this. Um, the stuff with the weed, like, that came back, but it was this whole crazy drug deal scene that kind of gave me the 22 Jump Street vibe. So, I feel like they placated to what we wanted to see in a comedy sequel, but, like, did a lot of things to make it feel more fresh for me. Yeah. I like that they had, well, you know, the bros before hoes kind of thing. <laughs> like, it, it, it's so f- <laughs> it's so funny, like, because that was a major deal in the first one. You know, they didn't say it as much in this one. Um, but I did like that Teddy uh, and, um, I forget, uh, and Pete, Dave, Dave Franco, well, number one, that came out of left field to me. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. That, that, that's great. It was a fun scene, like the poker scene. But it was interesting because the only person who, had, who hadn't who had moved on was Teddy. Everybody else had, like, a good job. Um, they seemed to be content. I mean, there was a proposal going on, and, and Teddy doesn't know. he he's he, He's old by fashion standards where they don't well, want he's wearing, him to Remember, take, he's working at the Abercrombie and <laughs> yeah. Fitch. <laughs> yeah, they don't want him to take his shirt off anymore. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, um, so yeah, sort of that, you know, that stuff was sort of funny and amusing. Um, you know, the other trope, it, it just wasn't, to me, it wasn't as raunchy. Like, you know. It wasn't as raunchy, I agree there, but, I don't know, it, it had, <clears throat> sep- like, I appreciated that it didn't go as raunchy as it could have just to me for the sake of doing it. Right. Um, and I knew like for me, the, um, his best friend, right. Um, the, the clown. Ike Barinholtz. <laughs> Absolutely. Character. You know, we, yeah. we knew that the clown was coming, uh, yeah. from the trailer. However, when he, he just keeps showing up Jimmy. at that rally or yeah. The, the, People love clowns. Ah! <laughs> that was some of the funniest. Things. It was. I'm not, Again, you got me. It was funny. Yeah. Um, but it was funny to those characters, to the rest of the story. You know, there, there were funny moments, very, very funny moments. It was it was good that we got a, look, a little more Ike Barinholtz uh, in this movie. The interesting uh, point that you're bringing up, which I'm now seeing, is that for you, this movie could have been so much more. Could have been. It's, I see, it's, it you're not there. saying it was a bad movie. You're no, just saying, just what up, if we had... Yeah, it was just missed opportunity, I think. Because I think I agree with you there. They had it there. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to do... Obviously, we were expecting this sequel. I mean, were, were we not? The first one did so well, and it was marketed really well. Um, this one, you know, this one was marketed decently enough. It was out there. I've seen the trailers. I've seen Red Band stuff of this. 
Um, but they were just, I don't know. They were, they were, the first one was very novel, and I get it. Um, this one, outside of the outside of the three main girls, the peripheral girls who are characters, I mean, that that Asian girl. I mean, I have never heard such a deeper voice. Like, like either she was around a family that just constantly smoked cigarettes, <laughs> or she herself smoked cigarettes. She was awesome just to hear her talk. Like that voice she had. I mean, that's a character right there, and it was very underutilized as a character. Um, I don't know. Like, I wanted to see more of their story and how they like. Because wouldn't it have been great to have? Selena Gomez's Phi Lambda president be the villain of the movie. Yeah. You know? Again, again. So instead of having the villain be Chloe Grace Moritz, which I didn't... It was hard for me to look at them as, like, the villain, but that's how this movie had them painted. Yeah, we could have had much better tropes in college tropes today that could have, like, that you would have been applauding and praising and maybe just find another plot for Neighbors 2 and but maybe think, they'll do it. You know, I, I think, right, so I asked you guys in terms of motifs. Um, I, I think the the girls um, aren't villains because they're evil. I think they're ultimately, it, it comes down to the core idea of old versus youth, right? And that's what Teddy, what, what I loved about this one in particular is Teddy's struggling the most with that. He, yeah. He's old. The, again, the fact that nobody wants to see him in a, in a shirt off, like going back to the um, the rally, like he couldn't be more happier. Yeah, and he really is upset when he can't when he doesn't have the baby oil. Yeah, um, and you just kind of understand it, and he, you know, and, and and in his own weird pathetic way, you you really feel for him every time. He's like, hey, I, I just want to know I'm valued. Am I valued here? I love like, that. Like, I'm, I'm going to help you, but... Such a funny way to repaint the bro. Like, I think we see the bro so often, and part of the reason Zac Efron movies typically aren't great is because he gets cast in this role in a very conventional way, and it's boring. He's so good in this character, because the character has these weird moments of, like, really pathetic vulnerability that you kind of feel something for him. Yeah, and he can't figure out the girls either, though, when they switch the phones... Right, that's beyond his knowledge and expertise to know like something's wrong, something's up. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, he. I felt that yes, his character was fine in this movie, but but the whole again, if, do you make this? Is this a? And I hate going to use the word like, is this millennials thinking that they know everything? Where well, you had the guy who's telling me he, he's the guy that got them set up. He's the guy that told them about. Fill up these buckets. This is how you're going to fill up these buckets. This is what you're going to do. And everything that he was telling them to do was working. I mean, and you just think about it for for a second. The moment they bounced him out because he's too old, that's when things went to shit for them. So, And they don't even realize that. And even when you had an older character, and again, for me, this came out of nowhere, when Rose Byrne sticks her head out the window and goes, what are you girls doing? No, no, keep, keep on annoying the shit out of us. Like, you got to stay together. I'm like, going, wait a minute. Isn't, like, you wanted this to, I was like, and yet they still didn't necessarily get it. And they didn't get that the inspiration came from a woman who had been through it all. You know, I thought it was very funny that they called the parents. Nice cameo by Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Very funny scene, too. Like, I, I, I like that scene and how he sort of, like, backed down. Okay. She's my little girl. She's my little girl. <laughs> you know, and, he, you know, he, it, was, it was funny to see him, and it was a funny scene. Um, I enjoyed it. 
again, just, I don't know. It's such mis- mixed messaging going on in this movie that uh, it, it, I, was, I was confused as to what it really wanted to tell me about sororities and girls and neighbors and, you know, whatnot. So, Well, before we continue... Um, I want to tell you guys about a book series that you guys can read. Books? Books! I know. Sometimes books get uh, turned into movies, but that's not what we're talking about. You know how you can tell when I'm reading? You can see my lips moving. Really? (laughs) Is that your tell? (laughs) No, no. Very good. Well, uh, on a serious note, Dimitri does love sci-fi. Uh, I do. Very he loves a good so. comedy, but he definitely loves a good sci-fi. And I love reading, actually, too. That's I, right. My, my nook is filled with books, and I have Thank bookshelves. God, because your, your, your bookshelves can't hold any more they books. Can't. That's why I got a nook. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, today I'm going to talk to you about the Fifth Wave book series. Um, the last of the of the books is out. It's called The Last Star. Um, the premise of all of this, all of these series is, what if today was the last normal day of your life? Cassie Sullivan Thought she knew what tomorrow would bring, but she was wrong. We were all wrong. The first wave took our power, killing half a million people. The second wave put that number to shame with tsunamis that destroyed everyone within 100 miles of the ocean. Goodbye, coastal cities. After the third wave, only the unlucky remained. Survivors of a virus that left only 3% of the world still standing. And guess what? It continues. In the fourth wave, the others became us. Inhuman beings hiding behind human faces. At the dawn of the fifth wave, we had to choose. Give up or get up and fight. But that was only the beginning. In the days, in the last days, Earth's remaining survivors will need to decide what's more important. Saving ourselves or saving what makes us human. Rick Yancey's number one New York Times bestselling novel, The Fifth Wave, introduces us to a group of young people struggling to survive in the aftermath of a catastrophic alien invasion. Its sequels... Uh, the Infinite Sea, and the newly released The Last Star follow them through a series of battles and betrayals as they fight the ultimate war. Of course, between life and death, hope and despair, love and hate. Guess what, people? Entertainment Weekly calls this series remarkable not to be missed under any circumstances and urges fans, just read it. It's almost like a Nike ad. Just read read it. Just read the book. USA Today hails the modern sci-fi masterpiece um, and the best-selling author of The Passage, Justin Cronin, raves in his New York Times book review calling The Fifth Wave wildly entertaining. The highly anticipated finale is here and will leave lead readers stunned. So, how do you get it? FifthWaveBooks.com. FifthWaveBooks.com. Check it out um, and get to reading. Or if you can find a bookstore, yeah. do that. And you know, <laughs> Phil, I've heard about this series and it's definitely one of the more popular young adult series. In some cases, people have even said it's uh, more 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 entertaining uh, than than like the Divergent series and such. And people have really loved this um, series so far. You mentioned it's just epic, it's sci-fi, epic science fiction, um, and it's and it's true science fiction because it is about to me what great science fiction is always about. It's about the human condition, um, and the mere fact that Justin Cronin, who is a favorite author of mine, who's written. Um, this book, The Passage, and, and fantastic book. So if he is touting this book, uh, he is someone that I would pay attention to, uh, and I don't believe that he would just be shilling his name for this. Uh, you know, I would say download it, go to that website, find a Barnes & Noble, go to a bookstore. That's right. Get this book. All right, so back to, <clears throat> back to our neighbors, too, who are probably now living in their own neighborhood reading this book. <laughs> Peace. 
Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> um, let's. What was you? Um, you let, let, let's talk about Jimmy, right? Um, he's kind of from a secondary role, still a secondary character, but much more up than this movie. And we talked about the clown scene, but in general, how do we feel about uh, them as a couple, him as a character? I love Ike, so it was fun to see. I've liked him since Man TV. So, in general, this movie had so many fun comedy cameos. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but like Gerard Carmichael, Abby Jacobson, Kyle Mooney, like it was just so much fun. I think this will be the kind of movie that in 10, 20 years, people look back and think, like at Wet Hot American Summer today, with all those cameos, I think a lot of these careers are going to be huge in 10 years. I'll get back to Ike as Jimmy. I thought he was great. It's I think with a character like Mac, with Seth Rogen, it's important to find a good balance to him because he plays such a particular type of kind of lazy stoner guy in most of his movies. I like, you know, there was a nice relatability of like, okay, what does it mean to be a parent? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and like, oh, you're, you know, you left your kid at home while you went to get whatever it was. <laughs> and oh, I'd be a great parent. <laughs> well, and that's the other two. That's the other thing, too. In this movie, Ike and his wife are expecting. Right. And um, whereas the neighbors, you know, um, our main characters had their baby. They were looking for the peace and quiet. Um, you, you know, Ike and his wife didn't really know they, they didn't have a child then, so th- this was a new adventure for them, and they were living, in a sense, through Max' character and his wife, like, saying, I'm going to be a better... You're, you're, you're really not that good of a dad. And Seth Rogen's like, what are you talking about? I'm, I think I'm a really good dad. But it was a good conversation to have, and Ike was very funny. I was, I was glad to see that character in this movie more. I'm glad that they featured... I think you had to, you know, if you're making a sequel... You sort of kind of have to, you, you need the adults who have this, because that's in a sense the, their own little subplot about uh-huh. dealing with kids and raising kids and what it's going to take. I, I, for my money's worth, Jimmy's going to be a worse parent. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. fact that they went to the party and then she's like, the foot, that was the more grosser, raunchy part that it was like, oh, Jesus oh, the Christ. Fo- the oh, foot my God. It's, it's a boy! Oh, it's preaching. Jesus Christ. The thing with Jimmy, though, is he might be a good dad because he can use the clown as a way to, you know, make his kids laugh and everything before they're going uh, to bed. I think he's going to bring horror <laughs> with that clown. Yeah. <laughs> not, I don't think it's going to turn out. I know, I'm totally kidding. So, well. You know, the other, the other characters that were really funny in this was uh, Hannibal Burr. Chris's character as Officer Watkins, yeah. paired with um, the bro mm-hmm. cop. I, I mean, you know, going into the drunk houses. I mean, it was the, those scenes are very funny too. I would have liked to have even seen more of those, more more of the, that 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 cop, yeah, the, the, those cops in the movie in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, because I mean, it, it just had that commentary of obviously busting the white guys. They get to the black. Oh, oh, so so sorry, sorry. sorry. You, guys, you guys, you guys enjoy. We, we're just <laughs> take these uh i like that um one of the lesser i don't know if it's lesser known but rose Byrne apparently was uh pregnant for majority of the taping of this movie mm-hmm. wow which i don't know if that dictated that hence why they wrote her in as pregnant or if that was just kind of a coincidence i mean i'm sure whether or not it was a coincidence it helped the story so i had no complaint about that choice yeah and again, it kind of uh, between Jimmy and his wife, it, it, it put him on the same sort of level, you know, and, and and brought that conflict of like, you know, oh, I can handle two kids. Yeah, 
I think Seth Rogen consistently, it's kind of this whole scene. I kind of looped Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen into the same bubble. I think they. I know. I think these movies always do a really good job of giving us kind of a delayed adulthood. They allow their adult characters to have nice arcs because most of these movies thematically relate to the question of like, what does it mean to be an adult? And like, I think we kind of see these stunted adult characters that always. It's a nice way for like my dad to enjoy the character and then for me to enjoy the character because there's components of the character that each of us. My dad's kind of a. Yeah, and he might think, oh, my son is actually more of an adult than I realize. So it's like this... So I, you meet in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like, I always enjoy that. I think, because I think Seth would kind of look to Judd as an app, like a comedy hero. I think even when the comedies don't necessarily work and they're not as funny as they could be, they never shy away from character development, which I really appreciate. And I thought this was true of... Like Rose Byrne's character as well, there was this kind of sweet vulnerability to both of them as they were questioning, you know, who they were. Yeah. Sure. I agree. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of cameos cut out, and we'll talk about those, but uh, for me, Lisa Kudrow being back, right, speaking of another trope from the first one, I thought that was great of like, uh, now let's spin it. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think it has a good positive spin in the newspaper, which I always thought was funny, is, is right. that that's her decision-making process of how the press would take. Right. These things, uh, and in my mind, they have infinity, um, infinity, whatever uh, strikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wouldn't right, this be considered the third strike? No, they have an infinity of strikes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought she did uh, very well. Um, the the couple people that were cut out, unfortunately, LL Cool J, which we'll never ah, know. We'll never know unless, right. well, until the thing comes out. The Blu-ray comes out. That's right. I believe Lena Dunham or Lena Dunham was yeah. uh, was cut out as well. She was indeed, and Cameron Dallas. Oh, interesting. Cameron Dallas as well. So, what I can appreciate about that is, um, as much as it would have been great to see those characters, I respect the fact that I mean, you look at it this way: the, the movie's ninety-two minutes. They they kept that succinct as much as they could, and they didn't, uh, you know, stretch it out for no apparent reason. One yeah. way in which Judd Apatow did not influence the making of this movie. Yes, <laughs> you, well, you know, it, it agreed. We've talked about this. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, in this, particularly in comedies. Um, if you're going to go that long, be funny. Right. Um, this movie, I, I, I will also say this. The movie never, for me, overstayed its welcome. It never felt that it dragged on um, like it could have. In fact, I think it's... I, I forget how long the first... Neighbors movie is. I'm I think sure that we was can an hour forty. Yeah, I think it was. Could have been a little longer than this, but I didn't. I never felt that this movie overstayed its welcome. Agreed. Um, it was in. It was out. It's a. It's an easy movie to to to, to sit through, uh, for sure. It's very interesting. What I what I found very interesting about the making of this movie is that the first movie was shot entirely here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The movie makes enough money. It warrants a sequel. Usually, if you have a very successful first one, they give you at least as much money, if not a little more money, to make the sequel. And for this movie, they shot a majority of it in Atlanta, where I'm sure they got great tax breaks. It was easier on the budget. And usually I would have figured that that could have been the other way around, where a first one was filmed in Atlanta... And then the second one's like, yeah, you can stay here. You've in earned LA. it. You've earned. Yeah, LA. you've earned. You've earned. You've earned LA prices. Yeah. Um, but they put them on to to Atlanta for uh, 
you know, it, it, let, let's see. I had production began in 2015. It was a nine-week period with Atlanta filling in for Los Angeles, uh, filling in for the fictitious Ardendale. So nine-week production for this movie. That's sort of quick. That's what are we talking? That's actually it's two two months two plus, months a, plus week. a week. Wow, ten minutes a week, which is actually yeah, but quick. That's just that's just in Atlanta, though. No, I believe um, production oh, began in twenty in August of twenty fifteen and took place it. over a nine week period with Atlanta filling in for L A. Um, for the so, I would say for the you know for the scale that they actually did have like if you think about it between the multiple party scenes and um and certainly the rally you know um it makes sense yeah yeah it's a so, quick production though overall yeah sort of kind of you know lean and mean um you know we're looking at just trying to see if i could find a production budget on this but it wasn't 35 for the production and then you had Britain, uh 70 35 yeah you got to 35 million I, I I mean we can look up to see what the first one cost, but thirty five million is by today's standards reasonable, very reasonable, and especially for for all the actors that you crammed in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and you got to figure with the hard drives and advertising. And they did a lot of advertising. Um, I find the advertising to be funny, being that it parodied the Civil War advertising, which was funny. Um, you know, but you got to figure they're they're throwing in at least another thirty five to forty million to advertise this thing and get the hard drives out. Um, so it, it you know it was in three thousand three hundred eighty four theaters. Well, let's talk. That's I want to talk about lot. the promotion because sure. um, there's you know there's a lot of jokes that ended up in the promotion that don't ultimately make it into the movie, uh, and obviously there's kind of pros and cons to that. Um, there's a kind of a great article. Uh, that that I was reading about, you know, the pros is, you know, you're going to be surprised, but then the con is, again, like, you know, we said we some of the marketing had LL Cool J in it and so forth, so obviously you're not going to get them in the movie. Um, and I found it interesting, Paul Feig wrote, um, I have no problem with putting stuff in the trailers and TV spots that aren't in the movie because I know whatever we put in the movie is going to be funnier than those jokes. And we have all these extra funny things, he told Huffington Post. Um, and when you go to the movie, then it's a great surprise. Oh, hooray. I didn't expect that. And, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of – because it especially happens with um, comedies. A lot Espe- of – Especially comedies. So, I, you know, I just wanted to kind of on this particular episode just take the moment and really kind of talk about that. Like which one oh. are you in favor for? Obviously, well, you know, to me why it happens is, um, you know, as you're editing the movie, you have one version of it. And obviously it has to start to go into promotion and – Meanwhile, the movie is still continuing to change and, and form, and so it gets taken out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of that process happens because the studio is 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 demanding a trailer, and and in many cases, that trailer is being cut while the film, in some cases, is still being shot. So they have to take whatever footage they have, and in a comedy, you know, uh, in a comedy. It's no big secret. They will do multiple takes. Right. Especially Seth Rogen and these guys. Of course. Yeah, they'll do multiple takes. And um, that was an interesting theme in reading about this is that, you know, they they were asking – they pretty much asked everybody, like, was there something that you found to be hysterical? Like, what was your – and they were talking about the comedic aspects and going, yeah, we were filming this and there were were a couple of scenes where I just thought we're going to hit the mark – 
or whatever because we thought it was hysterical, but you never know if it's going to end up in the movie. Sometimes it ends up in the trailer. And what Paul Feig was saying, to an extent I agree with him, because if you're going to offer up something funnier, then go for it. Then it's a nice surprise. But if you're offering something up that might not be funnier, and that's the trick, the people are already primed. And then sometimes we've all seen trailers where we enjoy a certain aspect of a trailer, whether it's a line of dialogue and how that dialogue is delivered, particularly in a comedy. And because of that familiarity, we're sort of kind of looking for that moment in the movie to see how it plays out. And sometimes it can lead to disappointment, especially if the movie might not be as funny as Paul Feig is saying that that part is. It's a very, it's a weird double-edged sword because it's happened in action movies. It's happened in movies all over. I know we've all seen trailers and then we go to the movie expecting for a scene to play out a particular way and they used, they end up using a different take. Well, it's different so. because, it, and again, this is why comedy is heightened in this way. You're remembering that joke, whereas in an action, you know, I mean, look at it this way, right? Ultimately, the trailer is to get you to the movie, and then right. ha- how many times does any of us revisit a trailer after that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's forgotten, whereas with a comedy, you're right, there's that expectation of, okay, I'm looking for, th- I am going to look for this joke, and if it's not there, then I I just remember not the, from the trailer, it wasn't there. there. There's that disconnect, whereas I don't think it happens as often with dramas. As someone who wants to see people going to the movies, and I know you're with me here, that you want to see theater seats filled, I don't have any problem with the studio using any method they can to incentivize people to buy a movie ticket. Mm -hmm. And with comedies in particular, like you said, so many takes on set, so many versions of a joke, so many versions of a line, some jokes stand better on their own, whereas in a cut of a full feature, a lot of these jokes demand setups and... They work within the context of a 90-minute movie, but they might not work in a trailer. So I think when you're cutting together a comedy movie trailer, take your best hitters that work on their own. Sometimes those are things that end up on the cutting room floor. And I'm totally fine with that because if you can give me the essence of what the movie is in the trailer, then and I go see that movie and I feel like I got the essence of what I saw, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, and then in, in some cases, too, because they're cutting a trailer and that trailer also has to go through MPA standards. Right. They cut a line of dialogue that will fulfill those standards. And then for the movie, it's a completely different raunchy line. Right. I've been on sets where they've actually done multiple takes knowing they needed press. They needed usable press. You know, and and to your point, too, I think editing, editing, editing is difficult to begin with. I mean, there's, there's a pacing that you have. There's a rhythm. And comedy has a rhythm. And in order for that to work... And in part, it's got to be about the editing of said movie. you got to know how long to hold to get a reaction shot that could be funny. You don't, might not want to cut too soon, too quick. So when you're editing a trailer, you know, and you've, you're talking two, two and a half minute trailer, you've got to pick and choose what you're going to, like what your through line is going to be. Like and and how you're going to utilize like in the first neighbors, the airbag joke was the joke that was the most prominent and what got people laughing in the theater. 
I can't even point to in Neighbors 2 what that one moment was. They didn't, probably the dildo, which was not a funny. Which, yeah, no, which I can't only even the, think. That was only in the red band. Yeah, it could only be in a red band. Right. I was trying to think of what the equivalent would have been, yeah. but they couldn't even use that for the trailer. I don't know yeah. if there was a clean enough through line for them to actually. Well, they did. Yeah. The, uh, the specific example I, I can uh, yeah, yeah, remember yeah. was um, remember the girl kind of going through the car? Oh, yeah. Of, but that we. Yeah, so in the it. trailer, it's a lot extended, it's slow mode. You're right. And, and there's a couple of lines exchanged, whereas in the, in the movie, that was almost in a series of montages and quick shots. So, you know, to slow down just to see a girl fly out in slow motion giving the finger to Seth Rogen wouldn't have worked in right. the movie. True. Um, and so that's a particular example that I can think of of trailer versus in the movie. What's your right. stance on that, Phil? Um, here's the thing. I, I think, it, to me, don't do it intentionally, right? I mean, it, it's one of those things, again, the movie takes shape as promotion is going out. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it just takes on that form. And if that's the case and you didn't necessarily, you know, as long as with the best intention, like you're putting out the, as you said, the essence of the movie. And to me, not necessarily, you know, even though it might not be in the movie, as long as you're not intentionally tricking people, then you're fine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and, and I think it's a fine line, but. But there have been times, too, where they've, they've they're, they're, there's been a trailer and there's been a scene or a line of dialogue in the trailer that that kills that kills that people re- react to and in some cases that when you go to see the movie that one thing that you're hoping to really see because it works so well and it doesn't happen then you're like what the hell happened to that because that scene was funny and sometimes like like Paul Fee I, I agree like I said I agree with him but you gotta you gotta deliver count on, you gotta deliver on the funny and yeah. if you are gonna make it funnier than what I've seen in a trailer or in a TV spot then more power to you you, you succeed um, it's a I think it's a very fine line because the people who cut trailers they're only like literally they're many times they're not given the film they're just given what wow. the studio tells them this is what you have to work with you've got to put music into this you've got to cut it You've got to put it in some semblance of a way that it sort of kind of makes sense of what the movie's about. Have at it. Get back to us. We're going to work on it. So these people who put these trailers together, it's a, it's a daunting task. There are good trailers. There are bad trailers. I worked in trailers for a good chunk of my life. It's, it's, it's not easy for those vendors to do it. And they're usually doing it under a deadline that, that, that would seem nearly impossible to a mere mortal. So. What I, what I do appreciate, right, when you take it, when specific moments are shot for a trailer, meaning like um, uh, you might see this like Deadpool did it a couple weeks ago. You know, Ryan Reynolds and Dead and the character of Deadpool, they're specifically marketing the DVDs and the, and the right. Blu-rays, right? So it's so when it when it kind of goes into that, and you could call it maybe breaking the fourth wall, or whatever, but like just something specifically shot to literally market the movie and it's different than shooting a scene that's never going to be in the movie um and I, I wish i could think of other examples but um but i think animated some, movies will do it a lot i think because you can always go back and you can have woody pitching the movie or buzz light you're saying to infinity sure or whatever i feel sure and like i don't want to get too far off of of neighbors two um yeah, because sorry to I drop think that real, well, no 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 <laughs> i don't want to get too far off it because i think 
we, I want to talk definitely more marketing and what you guys thought of it. But when we talk about good trailer, bad trailer, I think a great example today, like this is just recent, was that first teaser for this for this Star Trek Beyond trailer. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I was like, Paramount, what the hell are you doing? Like, why, why, why? Like, this is your Skyfall. This is your 50th anniversary. This is the only sustainable franchise. Like that's what you like. That's that 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 scared me. Better heads prevailed at some point. It took a long time. Now, if you see this new trailer that they've just put out, my faith is somewhat restored. I think for neighbors too, just wrapping like just coming full circle. I think they did. You know, they they tried to to um, you know just follow the pattern that they did for the first one. Come up with a couple of red band trailers. Which you know, which you see online, uh, the online marketing is is has become so integral because of so many hits that you can get. Um, but going back to yeah, you're right, Phil. We were talking about the trailer. The scene of her going out the window was was the like big scene. I, there was nothing else about the trailer that really grabbed me. Again, for me, it was hey, Chloe Grace Moritz is in this movie. I'm glad to see her in this kind of a comedy. Now I've actually sort of kind of interested in in what and uh, how she's going to stand toe to toe with these folks. What were your thoughts on the on the marketing as well? Um, you know, I, I thought it played to each person's strength. You know, I did like how Chloe Grace Moretz was introduced, um, but at the same time, it wasn't the only factor. You know, they they took the essence of what we love, right? Um, is is this couple and they're you know they're terrible parents. Uh, at the end of the day, and, and here, like, they they think they're done with it, and boom, next wave of just horrific events, and now they're dealing with it. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Uh, and, you know, again, from the marketing, Zach Efron, to me, was always on the side of the... It was like, he, to me, he was almost, like, recruited for this. Right. You know, hey, guys, we need help. Can you, Teddy, can you help us? Um, and obviously that didn't happen, but that's okay. Yeah. So. Now, did the marketing... Would you say that the marketing grabbed you, or were you, or you already had interest because you enjoy the first movie so much? Well, the, I mean, and the you marketing grabbed s- me because um, that was the that was the way I was introduced to it. So I, I don't I don't necessarily read the trades in that way, and um, are like, "Ooh, Neighbors too." You know, I, I don't do it that way. So it grabbed me. I knew I liked Neighbors. I knew right. okay, just the title alone, Neighbors Two, I was going to be in, and um, unlike I knew just going into Zoolander. Something was off. Yeah. Right. This, I was like, okay, you know, it's set up. You know, the trailer the trailer made me laugh. Yeah. And Agreed. it's going to be okay. I weigh both, Dimitri. If I was excited enough, but the trailer could have prevented me from going. Actually, I haven't seen Zoolander 2 yet, and I love the first one. When I saw a sequel was announced, I was really excited. When I saw the trailer, I thought, maybe not. Mm. <laughs> so I, uh, I think it's both for me. The franchise was enough, but the trailer's got to sell me. It's and you know, and again, just talking about you know, trailers can make and or break a, a movie. Yeah. You don't. You, sometimes people don't really look at the importance of it, and it, it literally, it's not just a hundred percent of the placement of the trailer. But if you just don't have a good trailer, you, you know. Well, nowadays matter. there's an interesting, you know, as we kind of head into the box office side of it, the interesting. A lot of people look at trailers and. You know, based off of the YouTube numbers and whatever else, how much it's going to do. Right. And the interesting part is, you look at Civil War, 
Um, I forget, you know, with the exact number or whatever, but it, it, I think it's over 60 million views that it got on YouTube, right. which is by far way more than anything else this summer. And people are thinking, oh, well, that's an indication that Civil War is obviously going to be the number one movie of the summer. Right. Now that, you know, if it ends up being the case, great. Um, but at the very least, like the way it's going, they're not going to be that far off, even if it's the number two or number three. True. Yeah. So, you know, there's something to it. Yeah. Um, but then again, they spend way more money into marketing a Civil War than Universal probably put in for Neighbors 2. I agree. You know, you know it, it's hard. What do you type? You know, do you tie Neighbors 2 into Tampax? Like, who do you tie <laughs> in with? Still does. <laughs> right. You know, who do you tie in with that you're able to get more, you know, you know your audience. Yeah. So because of the first one. So you try to replicate that. Um it's it, it's it's tough. It just really goes back to making a sequel to a comedy. I think is always hard. You know, we wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about a little bit about the tailgate scene because that's one of a. It's one of the bigger scenes in the movie. It's very funny. Um, that whole thing, believe it or not, shot over a four day period. Wow. Um, I felt and and it is. Uh, Did you feel that was short to me? That's like I, I, to me no. that's short. I mean, but like at the scale that it was, the scale that it, it was. Short. That that's I mean. Again, the efficiency of the production and yeah. what Nick Stoller and crew. I mean, no, and and he he. Um, from what I understand, too, Nick Stoller rehearses a lot. They do a lot of table reading. Um, which they I take find, they take the storytelling right. process very yeah. seriously. <clears throat> Evan Garber and Seth Rogen. They've always really been about story and trying to put something out they're really proud of, which yeah. I think is great. So you know, and it's funny. Several hundred extras, a full marching band, special effects, stunt sequence. Uh, a giant chase with numerous elements. Uh, we had people pole vaulting using American flags, people running on barbecues, tackling each other, stealing things, a grand chase through dense smoke. I mean, to me, that's to, to do that in four days. But the way that it's orchestrated and comes in what we see as an audience, like that's it's a really good scene. It's probably for me like the highlight scene of this movie. And it all starts off with taking, like, a lamb roast off a spit and oiling Zac Efron down. And it just goes on. Ah, it's, it's hot. It's, it's hot. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. And that was, I forgot my baby. Oh, it's okay. We'll just use this. Can I be a controversial contrarian here? Sure. I um, thought the tailgate scene was fine. It wasn't a standout scene for me. It kind of felt a bit like spectacle filler. Because I don't... It wasn't funny enough for me to justify the scale. I thought it was very well edited. I yeah. thought it was well directed. I just kind of had trouble. To me, it kind of got away from what the movie was doing a little bit. Just for me. You didn't like the Terminator bit? Weed, 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 weed. Ah, oh, weed! weed. <laughs> it's so funny. I feel like I'm being a hypocrite here because I'm saying that I love the fact that this movie kind of stuck to convention. Sure. But something about this scene felt very expected in a way and just I don't know I kind of liked the subtler aspects of this movie more than I did this scene but I'll tell you the scene that sort of kind of really took me out of this number one the whole switching of the phone numbers gag you know what's going on things yeah things and stuff I thought this is hilarious yeah and see to me I'd be like why wouldn't you just pick up the fucking phone and call (laughs) no he tried to remember yeah but again he ends up in Australia (laughs) Like, in number one, it wasn't even a good effect. 
Like it, it looked terrible. It looked horrible. I wonder if that was looked a, like um. It looked like a bad. It looked like somebody took went to a travel agency <laughs> and blew up a poster of that Australian building and just hung it up off off a rafter and put Seth Rogen with a bunch of extras. It looks like they used like a real location, like maybe Disney Hall or something. But it looks so fake. But the his one good line is, "Well, I'm gonna do the walk of." Uh, Sid is going to do some popular touristy yeah, yeah. thing, and he goes, oh, I'll head back after that. And I was like, oh, it's sort of funny, but he went to Australia? I'm like, okay, now you reach it. Like, I, I don't know. Fair that, that, That's fair. Me. I loved it, but it's comedy. It's subjective. It, <laughs> yeah. Well, what's not subjective is numbers. So let's talk about it. Uh, to date, 20, well, as of May 22nd, so not today. But May 22nd, um, I have 21.8 million in North America, 30 million in other territories for a total of 51.8 million. So uh, not including the – so it made back the production budget. Well, yeah. I mean I can say like um, the, the numbers that I have are a little bit more up to date. They were from yesterday. Um, and I'm looking at a worldwide uh, – worldwide at 57. Okay. So we're looking at 27 million domestic thus far. Um, not not figuring in today's um, um, grosses. Uh, 29 foreign. So 57. Look, it's gonna. It'll play out uh, here in the states. We're going into a long our first holiday weekend. Um, some places are actually predicting rain um, that I'm aware of, and rain usually drives people to the box office. Um, It'll have, you know, should have a half-decent hold. I believe it got, well, it got a B on CinemaScore, which is not fantastic for, for a comedy. it's the same score Neighbors got. So, Neighbors had a much bigger opening as well. It um, did, it did. That's true. And, 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 and I, found a, I found a website. I just have to bring this up because they, um, they, they actually did a, a side-by-side. Of neighbors and neighbors too, and I want to take a look because I I did find it very, I found it very interesting as to like why this one didn't quite do the numbers that they may have been expecting because I think it came in a little bit lower than expectations. Expectation was thirty five to forty million. <clears throat> okay, domestic. Yeah, yeah. So you know we're looking at. Let's take a look here. The domestic, uh, the domestic gross for the first neighbors is 150 million. Thus far, we're at like 29 million for neighbors too. That's sort of kind of rough. Um, we're looking at opening weekend. The first neighbors did 49 million opening weekend, where neighbors two, 21 million. That's a big disparity. Now there was a little bit of competition um, out in the box office last week. There was another rated R movie. That sort of kind of could have taken away, and that was the movie The Nice Guys. Um, so that could have taken a little bit away. Um, but I'm just wondering, what was the appeal? What what was it? Something didn't click that brought audiences back out in droves again to see Neighbors 2. When I think about, two, two, was 2011, was that the first Neighbors? 2014. Oh, 2014. Jesus, that was a long time. Yeah, you're right. That does wait. I just feel like Zac Efron isn't quite... If I'm thinking of like the post-Charlie St. Cloud, post-High School Musical 3, 
like the the Zach Efron is our Teen Idol era. I wonder if he's quite where he used to be, and I wonder if a lot of uh, was he the draw of this movie? I mean, it was just uh, well, that, that's my wonder. I think a lot of people that would have seen Neighbors one to see Zach Efron would have been like seventeen to twenty one year old girls who probably didn't like the first one. I don't know. Well, I would just well, the rap. So the rap came out with five reasons that this movie didn't do so well. Seth Rogen continues his slump. Um, since 2014, he hasn't really had a great um, box office. You know, interview uh, the can't night before. Can't blame the interview on right. him. I, I mean, I, I can't, can't, that one. I can't. Yeah. the night before that. didn't do so well True. either. Yeah. Uh, um, which I thought was a much funnier movie. I hated that movie. You hated movie, the night yeah. before? I thought it was stupid. Oh, I like We talked the about before. it. Yeah, I like the night before. Uh, Russell Crowe and, and Ryan Gosling. So, right, we, you, you mentioned that. Dimitri, the nice guys, that was out. Um, the movie wasn't immune to negative reviews. It didn't do so well. Um, so, uh, Chloe, some people are saying Chloe Grace Moretz isn't a box office draw yet. Not yet. Not yet. No. Um, and comedy sequels are becoming more of a challenge. Ted 2. They cited. I just which which I actually again if I'm gonna go sequel to sequel I thought Ted Two was funnier. I like Ted Two. I thought Ted Two was funnier than this. And Ted Two might have been funnier. Something about this felt a little more fresh to me. Ted Two felt a little recycled <clears throat> for me in a way that left me feeling disappointed when I left. But I would just, I would just think a lot of people who went to go see Neighbors One expecting something probably got something else. And I think the people that really liked the first Neighbors would be flocking back in droves to see the second one. But I wonder how many people loved the first one. Well, you know, I think a lot of people really did like the first one. But one other thing that you have to... Let's take a look at something, too, because this one came out in 2014, okay? we got to look at competition. Universal had a really... Probably had a really hard time trying to pick a date. Oh, 100%. To, to, to get Neighbors 2 out <laughs> because of the juggernaut that's Captain America Civil War. Right. Which is huge, which had come out, I forget what day that came out, whether it was late April, early May. Early May. Okay. Well, the first Neighbors came out in 2014, May 9th. Um, can we talk about, let, let, let's talk about its... Um, competition. Let's, let's talk about its competition. <laughs> On May 9th, you had Mom's Night Out. You had Legend of Oz, Dorothy's Return. What the hell was that movie? Exactly. I don't even remember. You it. know, and then and then Open Road um, uh, released, uh, in limited release was Chef. Fantastic movie. Okay, but not then, a blockbuster. Not a blockbuster. Now the week after uh, Friday the Sixteenth, you had Godzilla and Million Dollar Arm. Godzilla, obviously the juggernaut, but you already had neighbors in a marketplace where it didn't. It. it basically stood alone yeah and it was a very well marketed comedy that people would go to and now you're heading into summer where godzilla obviously was going to be number one but then you're going into the 23rd where you had blended eh? and then you had x-men days of future past okay another big but you're going again there aren't any i haven't mentioned yet i mean blended you can say is a romantic comedy but you still had Neighbors, which was gaining some momentum. It wasn't dropping as much in its second, third, and fourth weeks. And then you had the Memorial Day weekend um, to play with. Where this movie, you know, you are looking at, you had Angry Birds, which is a kid's picture. And if you didn't think Angry Birds was going to do some business, you know, then you're really not, you're not well read. Um, 
you also had Civil War still doing some business. Yeah. There's a lot of competition. Civil War did more business than this. Yeah, and then, you know, you, you just... And now you're, you're going into a week, you're going into Memorial Day weekend where you have another big superhero movie that, that's poised to do some, some box office. You've got a Disney uh, feature, the Alice uh, in Wonderland sequel. And Jungle Book is still doing all right, too. And Jungle Book is still doing okay as well. So there's a lot more competition yeah. in the marketplace. And you have two, you know, you still have, believe it or not, that movie Money Monster is surprisingly hanging in there as far as, draw, you know, it's it's proving to be a good adult kind of a movie. You know, who knows what the nice guy is going to end up doing in the long run. But, you know, like I said, going into the Memorial Day weekend, this is the only comedy that's out there. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to do Neighbors, but I think, it's, you know, it's going to do all right. I think it'll do okay just by virtue of there's no other comedy out there right now outside of Nice Guys. Yeah, I don't know if you can... Nice Guys is... It's not a straight comedy. It's not really if you're being marketed. For a good, if you're looking for a comedy comedy, you're not thinking Neighbors, too. Or Nice Guys. True. Yeah. So. <clears throat> true, 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 true that. So, you know, very many interesting things to play off. And like I said, I think Universal, trying to pick a date. You couldn't go early May. You couldn't have that date all by yourself where there wasn't already a juggernaut. Right. That's just siphoning all that business. This up. is a pick-your-poison situation for Universal. I think it was, yeah. and and this was the date. And what are you gonna do? What it's just you know what are you gonna do? You're gonna hope that you beat out a nice guys kind of movie, which I believe they did. But at the same time, you can't shy away from the fact that that is a rated R movie. Maybe not targeting as savvy as a moviegoer that Neighbors Two is going for, but there's still some of that crossover that. People may have gone to see the nice guys that opening weekend. I will say, I would think a movie like this would do great residually. I think it would have great sales on DVD, great streaming sales. I just think comedy aficionados love to collect. And if you Mm -hmm. like the first one, I just feel like, to me, this feels like a movie, if you like comedy, you'd want to add to your library. So I hope it does. I agree there. It just happens to bring no money. Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, Dimitri, am I wrong? Like, how much money can DVD sales ultimately bring? You know, they, they... <clears throat> Blu-ray sales and such, they still talk about it. Um, and and I would have to argue that they still bring in more money than VOD. And I only say this because they never release VOD numbers. They never release, like, when, when Neighbors 2 will come on to, you know, video on demand. Um, we don't we don't see what it really does. But the, they still report Blu-ray numbers and sales and rentals and whatnot. So, you know, it's it, they don't. It does definitely does not bring in the financial. No, you can't make a hundred re- million on Blu-ray sales. Come on, no, you don't. Unless you're pitch perfect. <laughs> you don't. Well, no, you don't reap. That. Yeah, you don't reap the millions that 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 ancillary market used to bring in. Um, so it, it's it's hard to say. It'll do okay, but it also will depend on what else is going to be released. You know, people these days they don't. I'm, I admit it. I'm a dinosaur. I like the physical. <laughs> I, I am. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like the physical aspect of of the Blu-ray. I like, you know, the special features that, that come with it. So if there's an unrated Neighbors 2, I might be apt to watch it. I might be apt to watch gag reels because those things are fun. I love those bonus features 
that you can't get. They don't put them on, you know, other, they don't put them on your various streaming services or, or in digital. It's tough to do. So I still enjoy the physical, having that physical Blu-ray, but to Phil's point, he is 100% correct. There was a day where it ruled. Home entertainment, man, you, you, all you had to do is like you placed a number as to how your movie grossed. And that's another thing too with Neighbors 2, its box office gross will be very reflective of how it does on, on Blu-ray. You know, it, it always was a comparison. If you had a Star Wars or a Civil War, that's always you. People will buy that up. The fans will buy it up. But you get that middle movie that does 50 million, 70 million, like a money monster. Right. You know, that that they're, they're not going to be inclined to buy it. They, they more than likely will, might watch it on their Time Warner cable and or direct TV. Or some might just wait until it shows up on HBO. Yeah. It's a different world. It's a different world. I understand. Absolutely. Well, with that said, it's a whole new world for our neighbors who now are renting out a house and have a house and a new kid. And oh my kid. God! They, you know, the world is changing as we speak. Now, could neighbors three? You mentioned rental. Like, wouldn't it sort of kind of be funny if one of their like parents or relatives moved in next door? And it funny. could sort of kind of be like the anti my big fat Greek wedding, where like it's loving. They're We're just taking annoying. pictures as we speak. <laughs> I, if they did it right, I would love to see them tackle race because I feel like this movie attempted to tackle the women's issue. We bring in a diverse fraternity. I think this team could do it right. No okay. good. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining us. Leave a comment below. Let us know what you guys thought of this. Did you think it was a feminist movie? Did you not? Who cares? Let us know what you thought of the comedy. <laughs> what did you think, Phil? <laughs> Dimitri, where can people talk with you? The, big, the biggest who cares. Uh, you can support me on Twitter at, at DMovies1701. Thanks uh, for all the people who actually do tweet and support and follow me. I, I, trust me. I very much appreciate it. The five of you. <laughs> for the four of you that follow me, you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham. Or if you want to see my photos, uh, Instagram at Jeffrey Crane Graham. There's some interesting photos. <laughs> um, follow us here at The Popcorn Talk, at Movie Anatomy. Thank you guys for joining us. As always, it's been a pleasure. Let us know what you guys thought in the comments section. Um, down the pipeline, we've got X-Men, the apoc- uh, X-Men Apocalypse. We've got Alice in Wonderland, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles after that, Star Trek, Star Trek Be- Beyond, uh, coming Pop down Star. The- I'm excited for that one. Pop Star. That's going to be a great comedy. That, yeah, you know, so, if, so. You, if you like comedies, check out that one. So just check, you know, we're not telling you you have to see every one of these movies and, and, and return to us, but if you do see the movie... Just check us out. Phil, and would you agree, Jeff? Sometimes we see them so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> you sometimes. can just tune in. Yeah. You get everything from us. We're the yes. cliff notes. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. If this is past that in the future, who cares? Just go have to the a good day. Just have go a good day. Movies. And go to the movies. That's right. And spit on your neighbors. Bye. <laughs> Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.